The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Welcome to Love Talk Live. I'm Jamie Bronstein, your host, and today I have with me Alan Leica and Harriet Tinka. They are the authors of The Secret to Living a Fantastic Life. So... If you've ever wanted to know how to live a fantastic life, you need to read this book. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Jamie, for having us. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. You're excited to be here. Thanks for doing the show today under these circumstances. Normally, we'd, you know, we were just talking about we'd be in the studio, but we make it work, right? That's right. That's all we can do is make it up as we go along these days. Yes, and every day, right? <laughs> so, and where are you guys located? Do you want to tell the audience? Go ahead, Harriet. We are in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Fantastic. You guys are my first Canadian guests. Wow, we made history today. This is so exciting. So now Canada will know about the show and all my viewers will know about you guys in Canada. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, so can you tell us actually... I was going to say, tell us about your book, but before that, I would like to tell the viewers a little bit about you guys. So, Dr. Alan Leica and Harriet Tinka share harrowing and traumatic escapes from death. His from a misdiagnosis of what he was told was a terminal illness, and she from a nearly fatal kidnapping and beating by a stalker. Together and individually, they faced their experiences with courage and found inspiration in each dawning day. Dr. Alan Leica is best known as one of the leading cosmetic dermatologists in the world and is now acknowledged as a leading expert in living a fantastic life and turning points. He is a transformational speaker, thought leader, coach, and mentor. Harriet, a gorgeous former runway and magazine model, found new life as a transformational speaker, passionate life coach, blogger, chartered professional accountant, football official, and an ultra- ultra marathon runner. Dr. Alan Leica and Harriet have teamed up to put the wisdom they have gleaned since their traumas into a powerful new book, The Secrets of Living a Fantastic Life, The 13 Golden Pearls Within. And they are here today to share some of those secrets of living a fantastic life. Now, please tell us about the book. Tell us about the inspiration. Tell us. Wow. Where do we start? You know, I guess I should start back at the beginning in 2003 when I was walking very close to you in Disneyland with my wife. And she turned to me and she said, what's wrong with you, hon? And I, for once in my life, I didn't have a, I didn't have a lick of sense as what she was talking about. She's, she's, she was concerned and, and 
for once I hadn't said anything wrong. I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't even thunk anything wrong. So I was a little perplexed and I asked her, what, what do you mean? She said, you know, hon, your, your foot is flapping. And I said, what do you mean flapping? Well, you know, my foot, my right foot had suddenly and mysteriously developed a foot drop and it was slapping on the pavement with each step I was taking. You know, your brain is programmed for that not to happen. It lifts it up automatically, but something had gone wrong. And, and I said to her, I really don't know. She said, well, when we get back, you better get this checked out. So you, when your wife tells you that in that tone of voice, you know you better listen. Otherwise, there's something coming for you. So I did. I saw thousands of doctors. And, and at, I had brain scans. I had CAT scans. I had scan scans. And you know what they showed at the end of the day, Jamie? What did they show? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. The doctors were perplexed. They thought I had a brain tumor. They thought I had something else going on, but there was nothing there. So I kept looking. I finally ended up at a neurologist's office, one of the world's best. And he sat me down and he said, Dr. Leica, you better be sitting down when I tell you this. And I said, why? He said, you have ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and in six months, you're going to be dead. Get your affairs in order. Well, I was incensed. I had a dropped right foot. I didn't have anything else. And I said, can you prove this diagnosis? He said, of course, on autopsy. Oh, my God. And I said, wow, you sure have a bedside manner. I said, and I said, I'm not going to die to prove you wrong. And so I, I, I kept on looking. I kept on looking. And uh, finally, I found something called the Internet. You might have heard about it. It was just starting in 2003. You know, it was very primitive. You used to have to phone up on dial-on connections. You didn't have any other way to do it. Yes, it was by phones. It is something new. It was something new back then. And I had to get on by a language called DOS because the computers had so little memory, you couldn't do anything else. So what happened is I had some nerds that were friends, and they showed me exactly how to get on, and I was able to do that. And finally, I was able to find a doctor that had a story similar to mine. His name was David Martz. He was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And he had a similar disease, but he got worse much more quickly than I did. And all of it, and so uh, he was on his deathbed when a doctor from Texas came up to say goodbye to him. And he looked at David and said, David, there's something wrong with this picture. I don't think you have ALS. I don't think you have Lou Gehrig's disease. David whispered, what do I have? The doctor from Texas says, I think you have chronic Lyme's disease. It's the bite of a tick that mimics ALS. It looks exactly the same. And David said, well, what do I do? He said, you don't need to do anything. I'm going to start you on antibiotics. And like Lazarus, David rose from the dead. He was doing everything. It, it was something that was amazing that way. So I knew I had to get in touch with David, and, I, and I, I knew how to get him. I phoned all the hospitals in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and I met up with him at the Methodist Hospital where he was practicing. And we talked, and we talked for hours. And he said, can you come down and see me? And I said, what do you mean come down and see? He said, come on down. I said, when? He said, right now. It was our Thanksgiving weekend. We have a Thanksgiving that's a little before yours. And he said, you must come down. And I said, I can't. My wife's having 50 people over. He said, well, aren't there any planes in Canada? And so with that, I had to come down. And I talked to my wife. She said, you must go. Ed. If something will help you, you must go. 
So I got on a plane from Edmonton to Denver. It was a great flight. And then I got on a terrible flight from Denver to Colorado Springs. It's only a 15-minute flight, but it's a little rinky-dink plane. And at the end of the day, the air is coming off the desert. And it's causing that plane to drop over and over and over again. It's like the drop of doom 15 times in a row, 20 times in a row. So when I got off that plane, I literally crawled off it. And my life at that time, I felt terrible. And David said, you look terrible. And I said, well, it's probably a, a symptom of what I'm going through. And he said, yeah. And we talked and we talked for hours. And he said these magic words. I think history is repeating itself. I think I can start you on antibiotics and you're going to get better. And I did. But you know, Jamie, when something like this happens in your life, when, when you go through these times, you start looking around, you find answers. And that's where I found some answers in my life. And, and one of the things I did was I met Harriet Tinka, who had a story similar to mine. So I'm going to turn it over to her and she can tell you her story a bit. I have too. a question. Sure. Do you feel like it just, what was, was it like intuitively, you just had a feeling that you this was a misdiagnosis. What was it? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, I've been a doctor for a long time. And unfortunately, I know doctors sometimes make mistakes. I, I think a lot of times we pigeonhole things because we don't understand them. And I felt that doctor was pigeonholing things. I felt he was not looking at the whole picture. Uh, you know, there's more than one thing that meets a diagnosis. And, and, Quite often, when we're looking at things, we use something called a differential diagnosis, where we put a whole list of things together, saying it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. And this doctor just jumped at the first thing on that list. So I wasn't happy with that. I, I wasn't happy with just understanding that, you know. So I was happy to look around. But, you know, you go through phases when you go through something like this. You go through anger. You go through denial, you go through bargaining, you go through depression, you go through all these things within seconds, trying to make sense out of something like this. Those are the stages of grief that were defined by Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And I was grieving, I was going through that. But at the same time, I would not accept the diagnosis. I knew that I had to explore everything. I really had to look at more things. Unfortunately, I was able to find an answer. Thank God. Yes. Thank you for honoring your intuition. Well, you know, I think, you know, women have intuition, but I think men have intuition too. And I, I think it, it comes about because of knowing there are other things. It's, it's like a sixth sense. You, you realize that there's something that doesn't match the picture. Remember those old uh, things you used to look at, uh, you know, what doesn't match the picture here? Well, this didn't match the picture. And, and I knew there was something wrong with that. Well, thank you for sharing your story. So Harriet, mm -hmm. your turn. Let's hear about your story. <laughs> oh, definitely. I'm happy to share with you my story. Now, even today, it's still surreal for me to believe that I'm a domestic violence survivor. Here I was, an international model, walking the runway full of confidence yet I was a victim of a stalker. Now my journey begins when I had just retired from the modeling industry. I decided to start focusing on a formal education. So I enrolled in university and it was at the university that I befriended a gentleman, a fellow student, 
who little did I know that his attraction to me was like a psychological trap disguised in love that later on would, would end up being deadly. Now I was your typical domestic violence victim. I was young, I was naive, and I had absolutely no, no idea what the signs of an abusive relationship was, but yet I was vulnerable enough to trust him. Now, as I, as I got to know him, I, he was very abusive. He would yell and scream and even every now and then slap me on my face. But he would apologize later on. So I confused that for love because he apologized and I thought, oh, life is back to normal. But it got to a point where it was so obsessive and he was stalking me, stalking me everywhere I was going. So I got some advice from the police and they, they recommended a rec restraining order, which meant he couldn't come near me. So I went with that and I was happy. I said, well, life is good. Nothing's gonna happen. Now, one evening after I had finished working on a project from university, I went home and I got into my elevator and I was so busy looking for my keys. I didn't even look at who was inside the elevator. So I felt somebody grab me by my neck and, and the details are in the book. Anyway, he yelled and said, you thought you could escape me with that restraining order. You know that I'm the only man who'd ever love you. And he was yelling and screaming and he took off his socks because I was screaming and he stuffed it in my mouth just to silence me. So I was gagging and he pulled me out of the elevator and dragged me into his vehicle. And then we started driving while well, he started driving and we ended up in a very isolated area. And he saw a telephone booth. It was like a help phone. So he told me to get out of the car and call my parents and say goodbye to them because that would be the very last time that they would ever hear from me. I told him no. And he got even more angry. He said, Harriet, in the back of my vehicle, I have a rope a knife and gasoline. I'm going to wrap up your body with a rope, cut your body in pieces and turn your body into fire. Nobody will ever find your body. And again, and then he asked me, are you going to call them now? I said, no. So that second no was so upsetting to him. So he reached over into the glove compartment next to my legs and he grabbed a knife and he stabbed me two times on my left leg and those blood gushing everywhere. And then he sliced my finger. And even today, I have absolutely no idea how I got from that point to the hospital. So when I woke up, there was my father and the doctor. And the doctor told my father that chances of me walking again were very slim. Or if I do walk, it'll be, it would take a long time because he had chipped the bone in my leg. So there was, I had been an international model selling confidence and now I was depressed and a cripple. So I, and the only thing that separated the two was my trauma. So I started feeling sorry for myself. You know, you go through those, why me, why me? And I knew that I had to start healing. So I had to go for physiotherapy. So it was during that time in the waiting room when I was waiting to go for physio, a little girl wheeled in on a wheelchair. She was so full of energy, so positive. And I didn't really want to talk to her. It was those moments that you have that you just don't want to talk to anybody. But yet she still insisted on talking to me. So I couldn't ignore her. I had a conversation with her. She asked me why I was there and I explained to her my story in a version that 
a nine-year-old could digest. So after I spoke to her about my story, she said, oh, wow, you need to use your story to inspire the world. And I was absolutely surprised at a nine-year-old with such wisdom. And then I had to find out exactly what her story was. So I found out there was a, a drunk driver that caused an accident. So she was motherless, fatherless, and homeless. Yet she had so much positivity in her. She had so much gratitude. So when I heard her say that, I thought my story was nothing compared to hers, but it's not about comparing stories. And I thought to myself, I need to move forward. But, but life is about connecting the dots. At that point, I didn't really know what she meant. But as time went on, I realized I needed to turn my life that I described coming from tragic to magic and make an impact in the world. And that's what I've done. I've used my story as a purpose to make a difference and improve lives. And that's how I ended up meeting Dr. Laika. And uh, we actually, there's more story to how I met him. Yeah, how did you? Just, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, Dr. Laika is a, when he was a doctor, he was a big philanthropist and he, was, he would sponsor a lot of events. But one in particular that he sponsored was called the YWCA Women of Distinction. And this event was, was one that recognized, recognized women in leadership that had made a difference in the community. Now, I had been nominated in the category called Turning Point, which is where I use my story to make a difference. So I ended up winning the award. And later on, I like to remind Dr. Laika that we met and I bought him lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had a conversation about my story and his story. And then we said, perhaps one day we should write a book. And that was four years ago. And here we are. We finally wrote this Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. Wow. Both such beautiful stories. And and as you're talking, I, I just started thinking about how I, I was watching Oprah years ago, and I don't know what guests she had on, but she said that, well, maybe she was even talking about her own life, but just that it's so important to use negative stories and situations and put, use that into a positive, put it into a positive tone, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you've done. Mm-hmm. So just for fun, what what are each of your favorite pearls of ways to live a fantastic life? Well, well, let's start a little bit with what a pearl, how a pearl forms, because I think that gives a good analogy for this. Sure. A pearl forms because of an irritation inside of the lining of an oyster. So that oyster, and there are golden pearls made. They're made in the South Pacific, in Indonesia and the Philippines area, but they're extremely rare. This particular type of oyster only exists in a couple of places. So when an oyster makes a pearl in those areas, it's very valuable. It costs about $10,000 for a single solitary pearl. Now, the way an oyster makes a pearl is really magic. What it does is take a little grain of salt that's irritating its lining, and it doesn't like it. That trauma induces the oyster to wall it off. It puts a material called luster around it, and that luster makes the pearl. 
So, you know, in our lives, I think this is a great analogy because the irritations, the, the hardships we went through, we found the pearls as a result. We found golden pearls as a result that we could share with others and make their lives better. Despite what we've gone through, other people can do it without the hardship we've gone through. So I'm going to ask Harriet if she'd share her favorite pearl to begin with. Oh, I'm happy to do that. So initially when Dr. Lyke and I started this project, we had 20 golden pearls, but we couldn't use all 20. That's too much to digest. So we trimmed them down to 13 for this particular book. Now, my favorite one, I'd say right now with everything going on with COVID and that sort of thing, I'd say my favorite would be purpose. When something that like this happens, the economy changes, people losing their jobs and that sort of thing, you begin to question yourself and wonder why, why am I on earth? And I like to uh, paraphrase Dolly Parton. She, she, off, she said once, everyone has a purpose. And I agree with that. So in the book, what we have used, we've used a concept called Ikigai. And that's a Japanese word for reason for being. Now, this Ikigai allows you to ask of yourself four very important questions so that you can find your Ikigai. So number one question is, what is it that you love to do? And that can be something that you love to do that you, you wouldn't, you do it even if you didn't get paid for it. You just love doing it. And question number two is, what is it that you're good at? And sometimes you don't know what you're good at. It might be better to ask your friends. It might be something you've done for them. Maybe you've, you've been a good listener. You could be a psychologist or a counselor, or maybe you're good with numbers. Maybe you are meant to be a chartered professional accountant like me. <laughs> could be any of that, what you're good at. And then number three is what does the community need or, or even the world need? And the very last question is, what is it that you can do and get paid for it? Because it's important to get paid but some people might want to do it without getting paid. So when you're, doing the, when you're asking yourself with these four questions, once you know the answers, you have found your Ikigai. But for your listeners, the best way to start to find out your Ikigai, I would say start off with your part-time Ikigai, which is just ask, what is it that you love to do and what are you good at? Start small and then build it up. Beautiful. Mm. I, love, I love purpose and I love talking to people about finding their purpose, because I think it's something that most people don't really think about. And mm -hmm. especially people that are struggling with self-esteem, maybe they think that they're worthless or, you know, they just don't even take the time to really think about their purpose. So I love that you're encouraging people to know that they have a purpose and then to find out what that is. You bet. Yeah. It's my, that's why it's my favorite, one of my favorite golden pearl. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, Alan, what about you? What's your favorite pearl? Well, I think I, I'd love to talk about one of these that's really appropriate for your show, and that's love. You know, love is one of the big concepts that everybody has. And Reese Witherspoon said, you always gain by giving love, which I think is a very important thing. You know, love is one of the few things you get more of by giving it's, yeah. it's one of the very few things. Unfortunately, the flip side of it also is true. Hate you get more by giving as well. And yeah. I think we're seeing far too much of that in this day and age. But you know, the ancient Greeks were very smart. They looked at love and they found there wasn't one type of love. There were a lot of them. They found actually seven types of love. And the seven types of love were quite different. There's eros, 
which is named after the god of love and fertility, which is the first type of love. There's philia, which is brotherly love, like you have in, a, in between soldiers or comrades in arms. There's storge, which is familiar love, the stuff we have in our family between a mother and her children or a father and his children. There's mania, which unfortunately Harriet had a person was obsessed with love and really turned into a very negative situation. But there's pragma, which is enduring love, which is very important. There's philosia, which is self-love. And none of us can move forward without self-love. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you can tell a person whether they're, they're whole or not, whether their mother actually loved them by the fact they act in a certain way. And, and Harriet does this when she's counseling people in certain situations. She can tell where there's a lack of love. Do you want to expand on that a little bit, Harriet? Oh, yes, of course. You can see by the way they carry themselves and if they have any self-worth. So what I would normally do when I'm working with the, the young girls or the women in the, in the workshop, I'll bring like a $20 bill and I will ask, who wants this $20 bill? Everybody wants it. So I take it and I crumble it and I, sometimes I step on it and I dump a little bit of water and I said, who wants this $20 bill? Everybody says, yeah, I want it. And they say, why? Well, because it did not lose its worth. So I tell them in life, you're going to get crumbled up. You're going to get squished. You're going to get water dumped on you. You still never lose your self-worth. So just love yourself unconditionally, no matter what goes through. And when people get it, you can tell they, they got it. They're self-loving. It's value. You don't lose your value. You don't. You don't, but people don't see that until you help them and explain it to them or and show them. Exercise that you do. Did you think of that or was that your idea to do that? No, I, I've actually worked on, a, I've worked with a, a few people who, who have been in that situation and I came up with it on my own when I was working with domestic violence women. That's brilliant. Yeah, I have a lot of tricks too that I show in, the, in class because people like to see visuals and yeah. that's how they learn. Yeah. So yes, just yes. mm -hmm. okay. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a saying, if you love until it hurts, there can be no hurt, only more love. That was Mother Teresa that said that. Yes. So I, I think that's what we should all try towards now. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the last type of love is selfless love. And that's the hardest one to get. And it's the hardest one that we should all espouse towards. You know, I look around what's going on right now and have all the hate that's going on. And I look at what happened today in Minneapolis, where the brother of the fellow that died said, you know, this will not bring my brother back, all this hate and crime and everything else. And he pleaded for the fact that people should try to love each other and try to move forward from this. And, and I think this is something that we need more of, not less. I, I think we need that selfless love. And I think that's very important for a show like yours as well. Relationships are an important part of that love, but it's only part of the love. The whole thing is about love. Well, I believe in the law of attraction, and that's exactly what you're saying, that when 
when you give more love, there's more love. When you add more hate and negative energy to the world, there's going to be more of that. And that is something that I wish that people knew, but nobody understands that. People are just not at that level to even be open to understanding that. No, it's a hard concept, but you know, I think it starts with baby steps, Jamie. I think it starts with shows like this and talking about it. I think it starts with little things that make all the difference. And if we can concentrate on the little baby steps, then people will understand it better. I think the world will be a better place if we start with those baby steps and we can make things a little bit better. And more of that's covered in this book. You know, when I look at this book, it, it really has taken a lot of thought. Each of our chapters has a story in it and the story carries things further down the path then there's this conversation between this young lady Harriet Tinka and myself because this book was written as a conversation it was written while we were having coffee many times and we put it together all into the book all that dialogue we had and then there are the quotes of those world's experts that we've shared a couple of them today that basically helped to make this a better process helped to make the meaning deeper and and that's why I think this book is rather unique for many people to really seize upon and so on so we we'd love to share it with so many people and hopefully we can make the world a better place at the end of the day make people come out of this COVID better than they went in and that's what our goal is at the end of the day remember Jamie it's not what happens to you it's what you do with what happens that is the fundamental thing we're trying to get to everybody and I think at the end of the day we can really really do better by doing that and getting people a little bit more down the path if they realize it's not what happens to you it's what you do with what happens and I always say it's not what happens to you it's what happens for you that everything that happens and you guys have been a great example of this is that you use it everything that happens is a learning opportunity and an opportunity to to inspire others, which is what you guys have done really well. Well, I and mean, we hope we can inspire even more. And that's why we love to be on shows like yours in order to do that. We're also very good speakers as keynote speakers. So if people would like a keynote speaker, please check us out because that can help as well. But yeah. also, if you could just pick up our book, it would help as well. I was gonna say at this juncture, and we'll do this at the end. Um, also, why don't you tell people where they can find your book? Right now, our book is being released this Friday. So if people would like to pick up a copy, they could go to fantasticlifebook.com. That's fantasticlifebook.com. Because right there, they can get a, a copy right now and we will pay for the shipping. Plus, we're going to give 20% to women's shelters of the profits so that people can see a better day. We want to end domestic violence and we think that would help a lot. But we also have something very special for all the listeners here. Everybody has a phone and everybody texts in this day and age. So we would like to give them all 52 golden pearls, one a week for 52 weeks. If they text the word golden pearls to the following number, 1-819-717-2515. That's 1-819-717-2515. 2515 so everybody could get those golden pearls and enhance their life beautiful thank you i bet you'll be getting some of those text messages 
<laughs> I, I think everybody texts in this day and age. In fact, I found it funny when I was in Japan a couple of years ago, a guy and his date came in and all they did was text the entire time. They didn't look at each other. They didn't do anything else. They just texted. And I said, this is the modern society we're dealing with now where people text instead of communicate, but at least they're texting. At least they're communicating. You need to send it to me. We'll work on that. Yes. Yeah. Verbal communication. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm just going to ask you guys a few more questions. Um, so Harriet, let's talk about empowerment. Empowerment is one of your pearls. And how did you come to, to that one, to featuring that one in the book? Oh, well, empowerment really is about self-awareness. And it's about emotional intelligence. Now, one of the biggest thing with empowerment is if you, it's basically personal management, being aware of what makes you tick and loving yourself unconditionally. So with the book, we start off with love and we end up with empowerment because it's a continual process. It's ongoing. You always have to stop and check. It's checkpoints, checkpoints every time. Am I loving myself? Is that self-awareness? Is that that self-determination? So all of those things, once you put them all together, then you are empowered. And it's all about resiliency as well. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. And Ellen, you talk about laughter. Let's, about let's, let's talk a little bit about laughter because <laughs> laughter is one of the few things that everybody should do every day. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I think we don't laugh enough. I don't think we enjoy the moment enough. I don't think we try to enjoy things enough. You know, it's one of the few things that in a work situation that bosses, over 91% of bosses think a sense of humor is necessary for advancement. So if you want to get ahead in, in that situation, having a sense of humor is very important important. But even more so, this brings our, our, our mind and body into sync. It brings us all together in a great thing. And it, it's a great, fantastic thing. And you know, scientists have really studied laughter. They've really drilled down on it. And, and there was a scientist by the name of Richard Wiseman, a British scientist, that studied the funniest jokes in the world. He rated them all, and he came up with the funniest joke. Would you like to hear that, Jamie? Yes. I'm in for a good okay. Well, there were two hunters. They were out in the woods. These two hunters were far, far, far into the boonies. And, you know, one fell down. He looked like he was dead. He wasn't moving. So his buddy brings out his cell phone, and he says, Operator, 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 help me. My buddy's dead. You know, he's, the operator says, you know, calm down sir this happens all the time it usually isn't true he said could you please make sure he's dead so the phone drops down there's a cock of a rifle and a loud bang and he comes back and he said okay my buddy's dead what do i do next guess what happened jamie he shot him Wait, is that the funniest joke in the world? That's the funniest joke in the world. Now, I think if you polled people, that could be the worst joke in the world as well. Because it's so bad, it makes you laugh. Now, isn't it the pro improbabilities of life that make you laugh, Jamie? Have you ever laughed at somebody who slipped on a banana peel on TV or anything like that? 
well, it's not supposed to happen, is it? It's not supposed to be something that's funny, but it is something that's funny. And I think the greatest thing we can do is laugh at ourselves when we're doing foolish, stupid things, when we're trying to make other people, when we're trying to impress somebody or do something. I think laughter really carries the day. I agree. I always tell my clients, you know, like, can you, first of all, laughter lightens up stress. Like you said, it moves around the body. Can you look at a stressful, sad, depressing, anxiety-ridden situation and just start laughing? You know, yeah. or sometimes when life is hard and then this happens and this happens, can you just look up and say, like, are you serious? Like, are you I, I, I think you got to learn to look at things in a lighter way. I, I think you've got to stop the heavy stuff that's going on all the time. And you got to learn. You have to teach yourself, really, to, to look at things in a better, simpler way. I think you have to say, hey, it's not that bad. It really isn't that bad. You know, when I used to be a doctor, I used to say to my wife all the time, you know, no one died. It was a good day, you know. So when, when these things happen, we have to learn about things in such a way that there is a lighter side of humor. There is a lighter side to life. And if we can culture that about ourselves, I think life goes better. I think we can really look at things in an easier way. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, were you about to say something? No, I was just going to say uh, uh, one of the biggest thing also, when you're laughing, you also have to have forgiven as well, because I think forgiveness is so important. It's one also one of the golden pearls that I like to advocate because of what happened with, with what happened to me and what Dr. Laika happened to him. We all had to learn to forgive in, all, in order to move forward. And Forgiveness is not easy because it's not a natural emotion. It's actually one of those things that, that we have to do. Well, it's, it's a choice. It's not, it's, it, and it's a permanent attitude. So for me, what I found was uh, easy. The steps that I used to forgive were very strategic for me. Now, we, we, sh we should never let ourselves not feel anything. If you feel anger or hate, it's just how you deal with it. Now we use hate as an emotion to express things that we love. For example, you say, I hate cancer because I love seeing my father healthy yeah. because it's taking away. So you're using hate to protect your loved one. And when you see the definition of hate, really it's a deep dislike for something or someone. So that's the real definition. And hate is more of a proactive, anger is reactive. So what I did with, uh, with my strategy to forgive the stalker that hurt me is I had to use three steps. So number one, I said, I hate my stalker. And you have to say the reason you hate and why. I hate my stalker because he put me in the hospital. I hate my stalker because he put a scar on my leg. And then step number two is to use hate and change a second sentence for love. I hate my stalker, but I love being healthy. I hate my stalker, but I love my perfect imperfections. Mm. And then step number three, get rid of the hate and focus on the love. I love being healthy. I love my perfect imperfection. And you keep putting in all the different things you love. So it becomes like a love journal. And so every morning you, you say the things that you love. And these three steps are continuous. You are, it's hard, but you, if you work on it, it'll help you forgive. Because it's easy to forgive somebody who 
who cuts you off in traffic. You can forgive that very quickly. But if somebody traumatizes you or does something to your child, it's not easy to forgive. So by just using these three steps, it'll help to really forgive. And forgiveness is not for the other person, it's for yourself, so that you can continue living your life the way it was meant to be. Yeah, and I believe that affirmations work because I feel like what you're saying are affirmations. And mm -hmm. also, when you don't forgive and you're, you're holding that, that negative energy inside of you, it's only hurting you and not the other person. So you, we need to set ourselves free mm -hmm. because that person is off free. Yeah, exactly. So what I, what I usually do, I, I ask uh, the women or the girls that I'm teaching is hold this bottle, water bottle, for one hour, for two hours, for 24 hours. The bottle it will still stay the same, but your hand will get tired and you'll be in pain. So that's the pain you're holding on to. You need to just let it go. Yes. And just forgive so you can start enjoying life. I love it. Thank you. And, and Oprah said a very important thing about forgiveness. She said, forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could have been different. Ah, it's yes. accepting the past for what it was and using this moment and this time to help yourself move forward. And I think that's what forgiveness is about, is moving forward. It's not keeping those things locked in. You know, um, if you don't forgive, it really binds you to the other person stronger than steel. And you've got to break that bond in order to let yourself go free. And it's about the freeness that we're trying to talk about. And that moving forward is the action we'd like to see people take. Hallelujah. Okay, so Alan, you, this is rapid round because Harriet got two pearls. Now, you get to pick your last favorite pearl, go. I would love to. And I think the best one that I like is enthusiasm. Because enthusiasm is the thing that carries the day. And when I look at you, Jamie, I see enthusiasm. I see a person that just can hardly wait to see that. And I'm going to tell a little story and then a bigger one. You know, my grandson, when it was really cold outside, it was minus 40 below. And he looked up, up at the sky and said, look, Grandpa. And I said, well, what do you see? I was freezing. I was shaking. He said, Grandpa, there's diamonds in the sky. It was so cold, ice crystal had formed. But he wasn't seeing ice crystals. He wasn't seeing the cold. He was seeing the beautiful diamonds in the sky. And I think that's what we got to see. We got to see the diamonds. And I'm going to tell you the story of a person that he, he was a carpenter. His name was Fred. And he worked for one company for 45 years. And at the end of that, he had lost his enthusiasm. He really couldn't take one more day of this. So he went to his boss and he said to his boss, I'm quitting. I can't take this anymore. And the boss said, you know, Fred, I really wish you couldn't. He said, could you just do one more thing for me? There's one job only you could do because you're my master carpenter and I really need you to do it. Fred begrudgingly said, yes, okay, boss, I'll do anything. You've been good to me. These 45 years have been good, but this is the last thing, okay? And the boss said, yes, of course. So Fred built that house. 
but his heart was not into it. Every day he dragged his butt to work. He barely got the job done. He'd work two hours a day, whereas in the old days he'd work 12 or 18 hours a day. The house was done with shoddy workmanship. It was done so badly, it barely passed inspection. But you know, at the end when it passed inspection, he went to the boss's office and said, I'm done, here's the keys. The boss said, just hold it, Fred. This is your last day. I want to gather everybody around. He said, everybody, this is Fred's last day. He's been my master carpenter. I'm so happy that he did what he did for me. And I want to reward him with something special. Fred, here's the keys to the last house you ever built. Take these and live in this house with all the enthusiasm you did all the years you worked at me. Well, you know, that story would have been totally different if Fred brought the enthusiasm he did every day. And as enthusiasm is such a thing, you cannot do just on Mondays or Fridays or on Wednesdays or when you want to. You have to bring it all the time because it's enthusiasm that carries the day. It's the game changer. It's the one thing that we can carry in our saddlebag and really make the world a better place each and every day, every time we're doing it. I love enthusiasm and I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, every one of our, 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 our chapters has a story like that and it carries you deeper into the funnel. And we love those stories. They were well chosen. Harriet and I spent thousands of hours working on them mm -hmm. so we could perfect them and help everybody have a better life. Okay, so everybody go out and get this book. And once again, can you please tell everybody about the free gift that you're giving away? Now, you can get this book at fantasticlifebook.com. And it is, you, if you order it there, you will get free shipping. And 20% of the profits of this book will go to help women's shelters to end domestic violence. We'd love to see the end of that in this world. And you know, with COVID, actually, domestic violence has escalated to unspeakable levels so we would like to see that end and we'd like to see everybody into it and if everybody can come around on friday uh we have a grand uh send-off for our book uh, the book is at two o'clock in the afternoon mountain standard time which will be one hour different for you and it is at at dr ellen Leica facebook page that's dr ellen Leica. Facebook page, you can uh, sign up for this and you'll be welcome with a lot of prizes and everything else that we'll have on that special day. You know, a book launch is a very special event and we want to make it special for everybody. So we've put together quite a show for that. Hopefully this could put an end to the COVID virus and people can have a great day as a result. Fantastic. No pun intended, or pun intended. <laughs> um, also, finally, really fast, the um, the texting. If you text, you will get the 52 Pro text too. Absolutely. If you want to text the words golden pearls to 1-819-717-2515, that's 1-819-717-2515, we will send you 52 golden pearls one golden pearl a week so we can enhance your life and really make it a better day for you a fantastic day well thank you both for joining us today you both are so amazing and i really appreciate your time and i know people are going to find this incredibly inspirational so thank you Jamie, no thank you this is really our pleasure to be here
Oh, it was wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. It was our pleasure. You're welcome. Okay. And eventually, maybe if you guys are ever in LA and we are ever back in the studio, you'll need to come and do an in-person show. We oh, would, that would be love wonderful. to. Or at some point. Yes. Whenever that may be, we'll take you up on that offer. Fantastic. Well, great to meet you guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. Okay. Thank you Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio.